What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. Andrew Steinwald is the managing partner of Sifermion, an investment firm focused on the NFT ecosystem. All opinions expressed by Andrew and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Sifermion. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Sifermion or related entities may maintain positions in the assets discussed in this podcast. My guest today is Greg Eisenberg, who is the founder of Late Checkout, which is part product studio, design agency, and fund. On this episode, you hear us chat about Greg's background founding and selling multiple companies, why community-based businesses are the best, why people connect with IP, brands, and characters, how to build a great product, why design is ultra-important in Web3, how Late Checkout is the Berkshire Hathaway of community-based products, and so much more. An awesome conversation that spans multiple different categories and topics. Please enjoy my conversation with Greg. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to chat with you. And from reading your LinkedIn, I actually understood that you have started and and you started at least three companies that have been acquired. So most people, you know, even starting one company and having that being acquired, that is a huge kind of uh, accomplishment. Uh, what, what are you What are you doing that is is so incredible? How 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 can you pull this off? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it hasn't been about hey, go build the thing and get it acquired, but it's always been about uh, building communities and building community-based products. Um, today, I think it's like pretty well known that, um, especially in the Web3 world, um, that if you build a community and you build a product around that community, it you know creates a lot of value. But I've been doing this for the last 15 years um, when it was very not you know uh, mainstream, not you know on vogue, that sort of thing. So um, yeah, what I've been doing has just you know, I, I'd love to say I've had a grand plan, um, but I haven't. The The plan has just been follow my curiosity. So, for example, I was, you know, in 2008 when uh, the financial crisis uh, happened, you know, I built a community called Wall Street Survivor where people learned about the stock market and actually became, um, you know, the largest stock market game on the Internet and built a community around that and that got acquired it it's not like i was like hey i let me go build the thing and go sell it to you know jp morgan you know what i mean um so yeah that's that's basically what happened all right so do you have a like is your background in startups or what, what is your background that enables you to to do this i've been building since i've been a teenager um and you know, I, I've got some some light des- light design skills, light engineering skills, um, heavy community skills, heavy brand skills. Um, but I would say, like, I'm more of a community person more than anything. Um, but I did study computer science at McGill University in Canada. Um, so you know, I, although I never finished, uh, I am an engineer by trade. Um, but yeah, I became a you know community startup person by just doing and 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 just getting my uh, hands dirty. Okay, so could you explain to me what you mean by community? Because isn't that kind of like a, isn't that basically another word for marketing? I mean, community to me is is when you bring people to me it's it's actually a party it's like you know it's throwing parties but on the internet 
So when you think about a party, you think about the music, you think about the food, you think about the people, how do you get the right people in there? Um, you think about the experience, you think about um, you know the starting time, the ending time, um, all the different rooms. Like think of a house party. Um, a community is 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 like that where um, you know if you think of let's just say. Uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club and their Discord, that's a very different community than, for example, Cool Cats, which is another NFT project. And you can, just like by going into some of these communities, you really get that sense. What I think I'm better than most at is is designing what these experiences look like. And that's step one, which is community design. And then step two is... Um, stimulation of that community so it's 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 you know what people call community management management and step three is product building it's like okay like once you have this group of people you know what is the experience or product that um you know will will uh create rituals with with this group of people okay that that is amazing so okay how does someone go about designing something that is a little bit esoteric like uh, like a community how, how do you how do you plan out that party that that you were mentioning yeah i think uh i always start with um really defining you know well first is is what is the mission of this community you know i think uh there needs to be a very strong mission and and milestones too so for example uh, i just got off the phone with um a community that is is a, a weight loss community for a specific group of people. So they have a very strong rhyme or reason to uh, to be there. So I think you know step one is you know figure out what your 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 mission is. Um, once you understand your mission, um, then you can understand like who are the people that would really connect with that mission. Um, and then you can be very nuanced in terms of designing, you know, what what platform are you going to use to 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 build this community? What product do you think that these people would be really interested in? Um, but yeah, to summarize, I would say like thinking deeply about the mission and and then thinking, you know, deeply about the rhyme and reason and the people there and the experience. That's sort of the steps that I take when I'm designing some of these communities. Okay, so I'm gonna totally just butcher this, but number one, I, I let's let's just pretend I'm like super sci super sci-fi head. I, I love sci-fi, and I wanted to build the best sci-fi community ever. And so I say, okay, great. The mission is to build this ultimate sci-fi community. Everyone, everyone loves sci-fi. Uh, number two, in terms of the community management slash stimulation of the community, it's like, okay, well, we're all gonna have you know. I don't know, monthly uh, meetups on Zoom, and we're gonna read our sci-fi stories that we all wrote the past month. And then number three, uh, let's start building, you know, NFT, some cool sci-fi NFTs. Is is that like a very, very quick and dirty? Yeah, I think like, you know, at the very least, if you wanna create a community-based product, and I'm happy to define what that is, but if you wanna create a community-based product, those are the steps that are worth like putting pen to paper. Um, so that you become crystal clear as a product builder and community builder, uh, what what you're building. 
Awesome. Okay, so could you dive into some of the the other companies in, that that you've started and, and then have the, the, that have been acquired? I think that's super interesting. And there's a lot of information that we can learn as listeners to <clears throat> kind of the processes of building that community and what it looks more mechanically, and then the also the process of actually getting acquired. Totally. Uh, so my last company was a company called Islands, uh, which I started at the end of 2015. Uh, Islands was, you know, the core thesis was group chat is the new social network. Um, and I actually raised $2 million based on like a five slide deck or a six slide deck, a very short deck that basically said group chat is the new social network. Um, it's going to verticalize. You're going to have a place to t talk with your stock market friends, a place to talk with your gamer friends, a place to talk about, um, with your professional friends. Um, you know, give us money uh, to basically figure out which vertical makes sense. And then we're going to do a proof of concept of that vertical and then move horizontally from there. That was the idea. And uh, we, we uh, basically built this Discord-like product for the vertical of college students. That's what we decided to pick because, you know, for multiple reasons, number one, uh, GroupMe is still really popular. It's like an antiquated messaging product owned by Microsoft and is still really popular among college students. So it was antiquated. Also, college students are always looking for a community. Um, so, you know, community platform made sense. So we, we, we launched there. It got a lot of traction, especially in the South. Um, and that business... Uh, ended up getting acquired um, for for the technology and the team um, to power uh, the WeWork social app. So when you think about a WeWork, um, it's a space like, you know, the idea was it, it would be cool if you can open up your WeWork app and see like who's around you, um, join group chats with them, uh, message them, understand their interests. So we sold the business. Uh, in 2019 to WeWork. Uh, yeah, that, that's the story there. Amazing. And, and then can you also talk about the uh, other companies that you've started that, that have also been, been acquired just briefly? Yeah, totally. Uh, another company uh, that was acquired was a company called Five By. Um, idea was, this is in tw we started the company in 2012. I think I was like 20 one at the time, maybe 2021 or 22, uh, raised some venture, um, and, uh, built a, it, you know, the core concept was like Pandora for, you know, YouTube, or basically it's the, you know, it was basically like the, uh, like the equivalent of the TikTok feed, but for YouTube and other platforms, um, curated video because there was so much video out there. And uh, that got acquired by a company called StumbleUpon, which I don't know if you remember, but it was one of the largest social apps um, at the time. Um, it was basically this like way that you can discover uh, web pages. Um, it was started by Garrett Kemp, who's the co-founder of Uber and, and was the chairman of Uber. And uh, we sold it to them because we were basically StumbleUpon for video and we were on mobile. Um, so it was a crazy experience just selling that being like at, at the time of selling it, maybe 23 or something. And, uh, you know, and I want to preface it with like, I had no connections at all. Um, 
you know, didn't come from like a, you know, crazy wealthy family or anything like that. Didn't grow up in San Francisco or New York or, or LA, you know, you know, grew up in, in Montreal, Canada, um, which at the time was like economically depressed. Um, and, you know, looked more like Detroit than it did, you know, Madison Avenue or, or, or San Francisco. So, um, yeah, that's a story with Fiby. Awesome. Okay, so so what is the process of actually selling a company? Is that just like a really painful back and forth negotiation for like months, or or what does that look like? Yeah, it's it's the worst. Honestly, it's it's literally the worst. So, you know, I give advice to many founders that they should be as soon as they start their company, like they should be building relationships with the seven companies. Like I call it like or someone actually once told me this, I, I think it might've been a guy named Dan Martell. He called it the, the, uh, the law of sevens or the rule of seven. So like, or the rule of 21, that's what it is actually. So basically the idea is, um, you start your company, there's probably like seven companies that will acquire your, you know, could acquire your company that are likely to acquire your company. And there's probably three people at those companies, you know, maybe it's the head of product, CEO, um, chief marketing officer maybe who would acquire your business so you have seven times three which is 21 rule of 21 there's 21 people that you need to know um and develop the relationship with so that like when it's time to sell it's not like you're a stranger walking into someone's door you can call these 21 people and be like hey like and that's basically what i did with with islands um is i basically like when I decided I wanted to sell the business, I like sent an email and then got some offers basically. Um, and it was because I had done a lot of hard work and building those relationships that they trusted me. Um, once you actually get a term sheet and once you actually go through the process of selling your company, it's like the most painful three months of your life. Um, in the example of islands, like, I was basically personally almost out of money. Um, the business was out of money. And you're sitting there waiting until this deal closes, um, you know, still paying your staff and stuff like that. So it's it's a very stressful, uh, very, very stressful time. And you're kind of just sitting, there's not much you can do. You're just like sitting, watching like lawyers go back and forth and you're just like hoping this closes. Um, so it's definitely something that, uh, is, is painful. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny cause you imagine, okay, getting acquired, it sounds so, so cool and sexy, but the actual process is, is just so painful. So it's, it's really interesting that there's that dichotomy there. All right. So tell me about how you got involved in crypto and kind of web three broadly. Uh, were, were you kind of deeply involved in web three before, uh, your, your, your current gig right now, which we'll dive into later. Or was that something that you, after you know, selling Islands, was that something that you dove kind of headfirst into? Islands was um, almost a part of the crazy 2016-2017 ICO, cra ICO craze. Um, so we were almost going to do an ICO for Islands and create something called Student Coin, which, um, which ha I'm happy we did not do. Um, but I got into crypto because of just learning about the Ethereum ecosystem um, and, and just understanding that 
you know, you know, we were talking about communities before, like communities at the end of the day are about incentives, incentives. And it's about, you know, how do you incentivize people to do certain things? Um, and it's about connection. Um, so to me, Web3 and crypto, um, it just felt very natural. It felt like the next logical uh, step for a lot of these Web2 communities that I was a part of. Um, but I didn't get super, like, I wasn't all in until basically uh, March 2020. Because when I, you know, because I had a background in consumer social and Web2, I would look at things like CryptoKitties, you know, in 2017, you know, that NFT project, and I would look at their daily active users, and I would see, like, they had 1,000, 500, 200, 1,200 daily active users, and I was like, that's, I don't want to get out of bed for, for that, you know, because um, I was used to, and it was really excited about scale, um, but in 2020, um, I started seeing a lot of this cool stuff happen um, around NFTs, a lot of, you know, the projects, the wallets, etc. were starting to get more mature. And I could really see that the writing on the wall was this was this was going to happen. Um, so that's when I started, you know, paying a lot more attention to it. So what do you think it is about NFTs that more people or, or like, the, I guess, the broader populace is attracted to comparative to crypto? Because crypto was like booming in 2017. Everyone knew about all sorts of different coins. And then it kind of, you know, died down immensely. And then it wasn't until 2021 where NFTs really took off. So what do you think it, what do you think it, it is about NFTs that are so appealing to the masses? I think people connect with IP and brands uh, and characters so deeply just in our nature. I went to Disney World recently and... It was like a crazy experience going to Disney World as an adult. Um, <laughs> if you haven't, uh, if you haven't gone to Disney World or Disneyland or or whatever, it's actually really interesting because, you know, Walt Disney creates these really like, or you know, sorry, the Imagineers and and, and Disney Corporation create these like uh, incredible experiences, like where the smell, there's smells, there's characters, there's just visually, it's so, you know, they, th they think of everything. Um, and it's all centered around intellectual property and brands. And the same reason why people are, you know, uh, the millions of people, you know, get so excited about Disney products and Disney movies and Disney experiences, theme parks, etc., is the same reason why there's a lot of people uh, connected to NFTs. Um, and you know, and love collecting. So um, I think that NFTs uh, will be the way that, you know, a billion plus people will onboard into crypto. Um, because I think the characters and the IP of a lot of these projects just um, are a lot more fun. Yeah. And then going off that, why have we seen the, I'm calling them like metaverse native IP, why have we seen stuff that's native to the space, like board apes or CryptoPunks or whatnot? Why is that taken off in, in much a larger way comparative to traditional IP? Like, I don't know, like Quentin Tarantino's NFTs or like, I don't know, some other kind of famous person. Because going back to what we were talking about around building and hosting that house party, 
you know, CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, like, you know, those examples, um, they are very nuanced for the crypto community. Um, and I think that what we're seeing with a lot of legacy brands is um, they're focused, and I understand why they're, they're focused on this, but they're, they're focused on mainstream. Um, and mainstream just hasn't caught up yet um to some of these projects so you know i think um you know when when you see more success and and by the way success a lot of people define as the floor price of an nft project I'm, i don't particularly i don't think that's success we can talk about that but um i think that when you look at some of these you know Old, you know, brands getting to NFT projects, they they aren't being nuanced enough with uh, creating something that satisfies the existing uh, crypto community as well as uh, mainstream uh, the mainstream audience. And I think it's important to think about both. So, do you think that there is a good sh good? Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think that there's a lot of traditional. IP that comes into the space and the follow through is very lackluster. Like the initial sale, people get all hyped and say, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this IP. But then at, beyond that, it's kind of lacking in, in terms of the community engagement and, and the buildup. So what what is, do, do you think that that's just because this, this NFT world is very kind of insular right now and quite small and filled with crypto nerds? And do you think that that will uh, expand into the masses? Or do you think that you know, we'll continue for the next few years being this kind of weirder, weirder uh, niche community that likes stuff that's native to the space. Have you ever seen pictures of like the homebrew computer club in Menlo Park where like Steve Jobs used to go to? And it's like essentially a bunch of nerds in a, I think it was in, at Stanford, I could be wrong, but I think it was at Stanford um, where it would be people like show, show, showing these like hobby built computer projects. Like that's, we're like, we like to think in the NFT community that we're, you know, it's mainstream and we're like, this is it. And we're like here, but we're not, we're not there yet. Um, we're still in like, we're one step above the homebrew computer club. Um, so as we move towards, you know, m mainstream and, and I, I believe that that's the direction we're going to. And I think this is, you know, one year, two years, three years away. Um, I think what what happens is the the community, the NFT community, is going to bring a lot of those mainstream people into the fold, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that shapes the dynamics of, you know, meme culture and what projects are popular. Um, you know, what the utility that people want out of these projects. So it'll be interesting to see how it, you know, transforms the industry. But I do believe that uh, the current community will, will evolve and change to be way more mainstream. All right. So you have actually recently launched something. Actually, I'm not sure how recent, but your current, you know, what you're working on now is something called Late Checkout. Could you describe to me what that is? Totally. So Late Checkout is... And this is not going to be a shocker to anyone listening because now you know who I am. But late checkout is the culmination of everything I've worked on. It's a holding, a thesis-driven holding company where the thesis is community-based products outperform non-community-based products. Uh, so we hold three businesses. 
One business is a product design agency that helps some of the biggest brands in the world uh, move from web two to web three and build community-based products. And we do that through you know, designing products and strategy and NFT projects and stuff like that for them. We also have a studio where we incubate our own projects, community-based projects. And then we also have a fund, a venture fund, where we invest in uh, community-based products uh, and, and as well as look to acquire community-based product businesses. Okay, that, that is amazing. Can we dive into uh, each one of those kind of aspects? You said that the first one was the product design agency. So let's say, I don't know, I'm like uh, CNN and I, I want to enter the Web3 space. Like, what, what does that process, process look like with you guys? Usually we start every engagement with what we call a community design sprint. So CNN would come to us and uh, CNN isn't a crazy example because we, we do work with like large media companies um, where they're like, hey, we're really interested in NFTs, let's just say. And then we basically say, okay, that's cool, but we're going to spend 30 days and we're going to actually spend the first one or two weeks going deep into like different CNN sub communities and try to understand, you know, what, who they are, likes, dislikes, that sort of thing, speak to them. And then we'll propose two or three different NFT concepts based on that, that we think have a high probability of working. And then we pick one concept, we prototype it, um, and then get, you know, buy-in from the community that this is something they want to move forward with. Awesome. And then there's a studio portion of late checkout. Yeah. And studio portion is basically, you know, we, we, we self fund projects, um, community based projects, um, and build our own startups. Yeah. Okay. So for example, like, let's say that you guys want to create some sort of mini game. I don't know. Some like, let's just pretend basketball mini game. So, so the studio will be the one that's kind of leading the efforts there. Yeah, exactly. So we actually take that same community design sprint methodology, but we apply it to uh, the studio. So it's pretty cool because like sometimes our team will be like, um, like the client, basically the client is us, right? So we're all kind of, you know, it's all that same model. Like you could be working for CNN in the morning and the afternoon you're working on this mini game, but the client is us. So it's the same team that works on agency as, as works on studio. That's really cool. It's kind of, uh, you, you, and yeah, you're taking all the learnings and all, all the kind of the processes that you're using from the design agency to build in, in, into the studio. And what's really exciting is that you guys get to own kind of the, the, the uh, IP and kind of the, the whole process from start to finish of that, of that project, which is probably really fun. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think also from a client perspective, like I think a lot of clients don't, don't want to hire like pure agency people, you know, like, totally. and, and I think that like, uh, I understand that, you know, because like building zero to one requires you to be in the trenches and you just kind of have to, you always have to be in the trenches or else you lose your craft. 100%. Yeah. I mean, if you can point to, hey, we've launched these three projects and this is how well they've done, then obviously people are going to say, okay, well, we, we definitely need to work with these guys. So I, I would I, I want to touch upon the venture fund because that, that's super interesting. So you guys are both investing 
into different Web3 companies, but then also you guys are, you said that you're acquiring. Can you go over the kind of that portion of, of the business? Totally. So on the investing side, you know, tons of opportunity, of course, to, to invest in, in community-based products. Um, you know, so for example, like we've invested, I'm trying to think companies that you, you know, your audience would, would be interested in. So one is a company called MetaLink, which is a web three version of discord. Um, so you basically like log in with your CryptoPunk or you log in with your cool cat. And then you basically get this like web three universe that you can chat with people. Um, companies like that company, like, uh, you know, Wonderverse, which is tooling for DAOs, um, company like Metify, which is, you know, uh, video game coaching, uh, esports coaching, uh, rainbow, obviously a really well-designed wallet. So companies like this, that we see in the space that we were like, really, we really look up to. Um, and we see them applying that community design sprint approach to what they're doing. And then we just ask founders to invest in them. Um, so that's the investing side and the acquisition side is something that we've recently started, um, where we see a lot of founders who may might have built something that's web two that you know they might want to sell um because for whatever reason um and we see it and we're like hey we can like build we can either make this more community based or make it community based or we can actually bring this to web three um and there's opportunity there so uh we're excited about um you know if anyone's listening who has a company that you know wants to get acquired like hit me up. Um, we're always looking for companies um, that bring in revenue that that, that we can help uh, accelerate uh, via our approach. So, I mean, this is going to be difficult to answer because there's like unlimited options here. But do you have a example of something that you would love to acquire and then bring into Web3? I, again, that's like a super open-ended question, but just any ideas? Yeah, I can tell you one. So there's one company where we tried to acquire them and it didn't work out. But I think you know, they could have easily been a, it didn't work out as a acquisition. So, uh, Ryan Hoover from product hunt introduced me to the founder of card C A R R D, which I don't know if you know that, that product, do you know that, do you know card? No, I, I don't. Okay. So basically like one page landing page builder. Um, so if you go into like, it's super popular. If you go into like, especially with like Gen Z and like the, uh, K-pop community uh, causes like Black Lives Matters use card and a lot of those causes use cards cards um, and I just thought it was a really simple product that uh, you know they were going after these particular communities uh, be it K-pop or, or Black Lives Matter to help you know support them and 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 create and create landing pages for them and and so so yeah Ryan Hoover introduced me to them I was like hey like love what you're doing would love to acquire you um turns out like you know put in an offer turns out he was like yeah i don't know like not sure um if i really like want to get acquired right now and i was like well why don't you raise money and so he's like yeah maybe i'll raise money so we actually invested um in card um but that was a great example of something like if we would have acquired card um i think we would have put you know, a web three spin to it. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting publishing web three products that have been put out, you know, over the last couple of years, like mirror.xyz. 
but you can imagine like a mirror.xyz type of experience on a one page uh, land, a landing page builder. That's really cool. So, okay, so have you guys taken any of the, uh, or yeah, have you taken any of the learnings from the painful process of getting acquired uh, that, that you've gone through and apply that to your process of, of acquisition? And also you mentioned that the, the guy from Card, he wasn't even really looking to sell and you just kind of sent him a term sheet. Is that is that something that you can just, you know, you're just like, hey, I know you're not looking to sell, but here's a term sheet anyways. Yeah, that's basically what happened. I was like, so yes, there is a ton, like everything I've learned and all the pain that I've gone through in the acquisition process, like I don't want to do that to founders. So the what, you know, what what I did with Card was, it was like, hey, hey like i just like what you're doing we spoke we spoke like once or twice and i was like i like your vibe i like what you're doing um just tell me what your revenue is and what your expenses are and i'll and i'll send you an offer like it was as simple as that it wasn't like give me a data room you know um and so like within like 48 hours or so he had an offer sitting in his inbox which which was cool because he was able to kind of learn from that experience you know he didn't he, he didn't like think that like if you had asked him a week before like would he sell his company he, he would he wasn't even thinking like that and so it was a really cool experience for him and a learning point and a relationship builder for me and him like i got to know him through that experience and i, I actually i love that founder um so yeah that's you know try to make it as painful painless and as fast as possible that's awesome. So are you looking for the founders, once you acquire, would you be looking for the founders to stay on board or would they leave or how would that work? And if they left, then would you be running the business or, or who, who would you get to actually run the business? So we're completely um, agnostic there. Like we don't have strong opinions. Like if the founder wants to stay and lo loves the idea of us just supercharging it, then cool. If the founder wants to leave and is just tired of like this particular space, like that, that's too cool too. As long as we have like, I mean, there needs to be some handoff or transition so we don't like destroy it in the meantime. But yeah, I think that's totally fine. So how are you thinking? I don't even know if this is like a, a question that you're thinking about or, or, or care about really, but how are you thinking about scaling late checkout? Because uh, I feel like with the agency studio, those two businesses are not super scalable. Obviously, the, the investing, the, that part is very scalable. But yeah, how are you thinking? The acquisition part actually is not, but the venture is. So what are you thinking in terms of, of, of that front? Or are you happy just to um, grow slowly over time? Yeah. So to me, like what Late, check, late Checkout is, is it, it is the Berkshire Hathaway of community-based products. So I'm convinced that if we do this, and do good work for for years that what we end up doing is owning equity in community-based products and if you're a believer in community-based products then you'll do well um i happen to be i think that that's the the present and the future you know some people will disagree with me um and that's fine but i think uh you know, on the agency side, like, is there an opportunity to build the McKinsey of community? Yes. Do I think that could be scalable? Yes. Do I think it's, you know, you know, how big is McKinsey? It's, it's massive. You know, how big is WPP? It's massive. How big is, B, you know, Boston Consulting Group? It's massive. Um, do I think that the studio is scalable? Like, absolutely. You know, 
if we pump out one to two great companies every single year and we do that for 20 years, if we do it for 10 years, we're, we're in a great position. And on the investing and acquisition side, it's just about, you know, uh, finding great founders, teams, uh, to, and products to back, uh, which is also scalable. So I, I see this as like a very scalable model. Um, but it's also just like a fun model. Like it's a fun one because like you get to wake up and be creative every day and you get to work on different things. That's su su super, super cool. I, I, I love that. All right. So are there any, I'm sure there are, but what are some kind of cool or interesting insights that you guys have discovered while just operating late checkout? Hmm. I mean, I think the importance of, and I'm not really a process guy. Uh, my co-founder Theo is, is, you know, process oriented and he's the CEO and he, he's really like run it. He, he runs process, but just like, and this sounds boring, but like the importance of, of process in a, in, and not like in a, a burdensome way, but like the idea of like, okay, like, hey, we're going to make this design sprint process like the best process in the planet. And we're going to like dial into it. And we're going to spend six to 12 months just making sure that like this, um, this process is the most dialed it can possibly be. So I think that it's really important for entrepreneurs to really think about what is the process that you know, one or two or three processes that are so, so important that they need to dial to 100 that they can be the best in the world at. So that, um, that because I, I do believe that it does give you a, a bit of a competitive advantage when, you know, like, for example, we're sitting here and we've got this great, you know, process that I think allows us to walk into any room, be it with CNN or be it with ourselves or be it with a founder and be able to really, really accelerate stuff. That's awesome. All right, so what what makes Web3 communities different than Web2 communities? Because I, I feel like they're both internet-based communities. So what is that big differentiating factor there? I mean, the ownership piece is a big one. Like if you are part of a Web3 community, you share in the upside of that community. Um, and generally what that means is you feel more you know, you're rooting for it a little bit harder uh, because you have a little bit more of incentive. Um, that's not for every community, and I don't believe every community needs to be financialized. But I do think for a lot of communities, like adding that layer of tokenomics um, and ownership um, does increase the level of, you know, how hard uh, you're, you know, you're pumping your fist, so to speak. Super cool. Okay, so yeah, what is what are some interesting business models that you've seen in the Web three slash NFT ecosystem space that uh, that you think are are kind of game changers, or you think that that are just super applicable to communities in general? I uh, I'm wearing you know we're we're on audio here, we're not on video, but I'm wearing a a nouns hat. I don't know how familiar you are with that project. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I just think that nouns, and for those of you who don't know, like this idea that um, basically it's this NFT project that every single day, you know, uh, another one is auctioned off and, you know, the, the, the IP is actually in the public domain. It's something called CCO, uh, Creative Commons Zero. 
um, where, you know, this hat that I bought, I bought it from Jack Butcher. Some of, you know, people listening might know Jack Butcher. He actually, like, because it's in the public domain, he, like, bought, you know, basically grabbed the, the logo of Nouns, which is kind of like the Nike swoosh of the internet, goes and, like, prints a bunch of hats and sells it. And he doesn't have to give royalties to Nouns. And Nouns is happy because, all you know, I'm walking around Miami and I've got this, like, you know, Nouns you know, uh, hat and people ask me about it. They're like, what's that? And I explain to them, or I'm on a podcast right now. And like thousands of people might be listening to this and they'll be like, what's down? And, and some of you might actually go and buy a nouns. So I think I'm the most interested right now in, in CCO and, and, and public domain. I think that's just a really interesting business model because it's very community based, right? You're getting the community to actually go and build a lot of these products. Yeah, so so speaking of that, like the CCO, having this open IP, what do, what does that mean for the the, the long term kind of growth of NFTs slash Web three? Like like I feel like there's a lot of um, ramifications within that that I fully don't understand yet. Uh, and but like you know, if we had to kind of hypothetically you know think of some think of some future scenarios, what what does that look like with with a world where most of the assets uh, are in the Creative Commons uh, licensing? I mean, if you think about the internet, like the internet itself is just so, like, for example, you know, the most famous example is the Mona Lisa, right? Like you have the Mona Lisa, one person owns it or one, you know, group of people own it or whatever. And then there, but like, if you want to Google Mona Lisa, you'll see images of the Mona Lisa. So I think like, um, you know, what does it mean? Like the fact that, you know, holders don't really own the, the actual IP. Like, I think it actually means a lot less than people think. Um, I think that like my thesis on it is that the more like this, the more, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, someone once said like, you know, uh, the memes of production, right? Like seize the memes of production. I think that whoever owns the memes, especially in consumer is going to win on the internet and it'll just be interesting to see how it all plays out. I think the important thing to note is that, you know, the value should accrue to the community if these memes are spread. Um, but I, I'm sure there'll be examples of CCO communities that, um, you know, maybe what happens is, uh, the value, you know, maybe not all the values or, or maybe none of the value or a very small amount is accrued to that community. And, and we'll learn from that. But I think that overall, most, most of the time it will. So, yeah, no, I, I love the, it sees the memes of, of, of production. I, I think that that's a really, really kind of cool saying and, and very true. But so if memes are these ultra powerful things, and the reason they're so powerful is basically that their, their ability to go viral and, and be seen by so many people and whatnot. Uh, and and kind of their messaging doesn't that mean like distribution is probably the most important thing within the the I, I guess internet broadly but I was gonna say like for the these COO projects these projects that have this creative uh, commons licensing because the whole purpose of that is like to be you know to get more exposure to get people engaged and kind of get more well known yeah yeah I think um, I think it's you know when I think of the word distribution I don't know if it's just me but I think of like a fire hose, 
for whatever reason. You're just like pumping it out to as many people as possible. And to me, it's, it's, I mean, definitely distribution is about like putting it out there and getting it seen from as many people as possible, but it's really also about connecting um, to that particular meme. So, you know, just because you have a meme that is widely distributed doesn't mean that you have a, a meme that's highly effective. So I think one of the things we're going to learn over time also is what sort of NFT projects or communities are able to not only seize memes with high levels of distribution, but also high level of effectiveness. I love that. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Like, you can have all the di distribution in the world, but if your meme just doesn't communicate with people, they're gonna it's not going to spread. So totally. I, I love that. All right, so what is, and this is a super broad question, but like, what is what excites you the most about NFTs? Hmm. I mean, I'll just, you know, stream of consciousness tell you. Um, so I'm interested in the intersection of NFTs and gaming. So I'm 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 just excited about that. I'm interested in um proof of competency. So like uh you know, if I, you know, right now I can go on LinkedIn, you, you know, you mentioned my LinkedIn, like I can go on LinkedIn and I can probably say I was like the CEO of American Express and, you know, I don't even know if anything would happen. Um, so the idea that like in the, in the future, you'll be able to go and uh, accomplish tasks on the internet or do things on the internet and prove your level of competency, which helps you, which helps open doors to me is really interesting. Because to me, it breaks down um, some of the barriers that exist in, in the real world where if you're a certain race or, or you're, you know, you know, there's a prejudice against you for whatever reason, um, sometimes you're not able to have the doors open to you and, it, and it's, that sucks. So I like the idea of using NFTs as a way to open doors for people who had doors close to them. Love that. All right, here's another doozy. What what is the metaverse? <laughs> the metaverse is a dumb word. Is is the short answer. Um, <laughs> well, no. It, yeah. Also, here's the thing. Like the meta, like back in 2019, 2020, when when we were talking about the metaverse and like within our Web three NFT space, like it was like cool. And then and then suddenly this past year, it's like become not cool. And so so I, I don't know. I, I want to go back. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, the metaverse is is this direction that we're we're talking about where the internet is going. So it's it's the new internet. It's it's this more spatial, this more ownership driven, this more um, truly social, this more um, door opening, group chat based community oriented um, place uh, versus protocol. You know, when we think of the internet, I think the internet is a set of protocols and the internet is now graduating from a set of protocols to a real place. And I think that's the, that's what we're trying to define with words, but we haven't done a good enough job with metaverse. Wow, I, I love what you just said. You said the internet is graduating 
from a protocol to a place that that is so freaking cool I, i'm gonna have to tweet that later i don't know if you you know i guess you could i i think i need to tweet it later i need to I'm write that down <laughs> no, no i'm kidding um, <laughs> awesome no i i love that um all right so let's say five to ten years from now where do you want to be with everything you're working on like tell me where late checkout is uh just just continuing uh working with a great team doing more more you know just seeing seeing you know more studio projects more investments more more agency just more of the same is is you know i don't know if that's a boring answer but it's like i just want to continue being doing more and continue working with great people and and having and, and continue having fun awesome all right before closing up here let's let's jump into a few closing questions yep all right. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? That's tough. Probably, if I had to pick one, would be my cryptodes with my noun nouns glasses. Oh, I love that. All right. What is your most controversial thought relating to crypto or NFTs? I would say NFTs has a ways to go to from being mainstream. Interesting. Can you can you kind of double click on on, on that? It's not environmentally friendly enough it's not secure enough <clears throat> it's not spam proof enough um discord gives people anxiety there's just a long way to go love it all right if you could snap your fingers and instantly change or improve one thing in the crypto slash nft ecosystem what would it be easier on ramps to crypto so making w wallets more delightful uh giving people uh ways to to read contracts without actually having to read them stuff like that love it all right last question where do you see the nft ecosystem in three years uh i would say a lot of creators and artists and traditional institutions will have adopted it in 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 three years i think we're gonna see a ton of flops too um i think by in three years from now we're going to have a playbook for how to launch a great nft project um today we do not love it greg this has been an absolutely awesome conversation i, I loved hearing about your background and everything that you've done and, and accomplished so far has been amazing but especially what, what you're doing with late checkout now is just even more exciting if people want to find out more about yourself, find out more about you know uh, late checkout. Where do they go? What do they do? Late checkout, latecheckout.studio. Check out our cool website. We just launched it. Let me know what you think. You can let me know what you think on Twitter. I'm at Greg Eisenberg. I S E N B E R G. Uh, that's where I, I spew most of my thoughts. But also have a Substack. Have a podcast with my co-host Sahil Bloom. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, it's called Where It Happens Podcasts on YouTube, awesome. Apple Pod, and Spotify. Awesome. Greg, thank you so much for coming out. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. It was a fun. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red Podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.